Bars and restaurants uh, are one of the identified uh, spreaders. I feel safer to dine in my restaurant knowing that every table is separated by six feet. He says, do you take business and livelihoods over life? But you can't just tell us to shut down, lose our livelihoods, and not provide us support. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news stories? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one conversation with our reporters every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome into The Debrief. I'm your host, Adam Cooperstein, in for David Ushery. New COVID restrictions are looming for New York State, and in the city, that would mean a complete shutdown of indoor dining only two and a half months after reopening. Bars and restaurants, they've pushed back, pointing out that they've already been devastated by the pandemic, with thousands closed for good and the ones that have survived now on the brink. And yet across the river, Governor Phil Murphy says a ban on indoor dining is not on the table in New Jersey, despite the fact that the positivity rate there is twice as high as New York's. Murphy argues there's no evidence of spread from indoor dining. He says small gatherings are the real problem, even though the CDC has determined that indoor dining and bars are higher risk scenarios. And even without new restrictions, a third of New Jersey restaurants predict they're going to have to close within six months, according to a new poll by the state's Restaurant Association. And that's why they're calling on Congress to pass an aid package ASAP. So what's the explanation for this disparity between the two neighboring states? And what's the reality about where the virus is spreading? We'll talk to an epidemiologist in a moment. But first, here's News 4's Chris Glorioso. I feel safer to dine in my restaurant knowing that every table is separated by six feet. At Manhattan Valley's Café du Soleil, the owner says canceling indoor dining again will be the death penalty for lots of restaurants. And he doesn't understand why Governor Cuomo is warning of an indoor dining ban when New Jersey, with double the positivity rate, is not. I think that maybe the governor should speak to the governor of New Jersey and figure out why the governor of New Jersey wants to stay open and our governor wants us to shut down. Asked why he's holding off on halting indoor dining, Governor Murphy said he is aware of the risks, but so far the data in New Jersey don't show restaurants are super spreaders. Just because you're taking on some amount more of risk, uh, we don't see a broad amount of infections coming out of that. If we did, we would act. But there's a far different posture in Albany, where Governor Cuomo has insisted restaurants are hotspots. Bars and restaurants uh, are one of the identified uh, spreaders. News 4 asked the New York State Health Department for contact tracing data showing restaurants are breeding infections. The office has not provided that, but did issue a statement saying there are countless examples of COVID clusters linked to bars and restaurants, both in New York and across the country. Last month, a study by Stanford and Northwestern tracked movements of 98 million cell phone users and estimated restaurants are at the top of the super spreader list, concluding reopening full service restaurants was associated with a particularly high risk. Last summer, News 4 profiled Ned Baldwin, owner of Houseman, a restaurant in Manhattan's Hudson Square. He was eager to reopen then, but today he told us he actually wants the governor to halt indoor dining. He was clearing his customer's table last week, and he says it started to feel unsafe. Of course, I never take my mask off while I'm working, but my face is like a foot from their head. And I don't like, I didn't like it. 
Let's welcome in Andrew Ridgey, the executive director of the New York City Hospitality Alliance. And Andrew, thanks so much for the time. Let's just start with how dire the situation is right now for the hospitality industry, but specifically for restaurants. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me on. It is an absolutely dire situation. Pre-pandemic, there were more than 25,000 eating and drinking establishments that employed more than 300,000 New Yorkers. While we don't know how many thousands of restaurants have closed yet, a recent study from the state controller's office suggested that up to 50% of these small businesses could permanently shutter without adequate support. Right after the initial shutdown, we dropped from more than 300,000 jobs to about 90,000. We've hired back about 100,000, so still more than 100,000 out of work. And with a looming shutdown of indoor dining and the cooler weather, keeping some people from eating outdoors, you know, 100,000 jobs could again be on the chopping block. And these are people that were recently rehired. So it's dire. We need support. And we need to fight for our city's restaurant industry. Well, what is the solution, Andrew? Because it's so tricky with this balance of public health and then the economic health of this restaurant business that means so much to New Yorkers. We see that hospitals are filling up at a higher rate now than they were in the summer. So you have the state and the city saying, well, something needs to be done from your standpoint. What is a reasonable approach to balance this public health crisis and the restaurant's health? Well, public health and safety, of course, has to be paramount, but also has to be paramount is the health of these small businesses and these jobs. These are people's livelihoods. So I think, one, we need to look at the data. To put everything into perspective, New York City has among the most highly regulated restaurants anywhere around the globe. In fact, New York State has had indoor dining at 50% occupancy since back in June, and New York City had 25% indoor occupancy since September, and we had continued to see the infection rates go down. They've gone up recently, but even Governor Cuomo has stated that about 70% of those new infections are related back to private social gatherings, not restaurants. And New York City's own health department has not shown any data that these new infection rates are being impacted significantly by indoor dining that is heavily regulated. So I think we need to really look at where the infections are coming from. If we needed to tweak a bit the indoor requirements, I'm not sure that that's necessary because restaurants throughout the rest of the state under this new potential closing plan of Governor Cuomo would only shut indoor dining in New York City restaurants, but would reduce indoor occupancy elsewhere in the state to 25%. So I think we also need consistency among the requirements, and we need to provide financial support to these small businesses. Have you been given any sort of answer as to why New York City, there seems to be this double standard of less capacity to begin with, and now if New York City gets shut down, the restriction is total shutdown, the rest of the state where actually infection rates are currently higher, the rest of the regions in the state would, would still be allowed to have indoor dining open at 25%. Do you have any sort of answer as to why New York City appears to be treated differently? So that's an interesting issue, and you actually raised an important point. If you look at particularly at Manhattan, you know, we have half the infection rate of many counties 
throughout the rest of New York State that would still remain open for indoor dining. The reason that has been given time and time again is about density. New York City is denser than other places in the state. But we're talking about indoor dining, which has a capped occupancy of 25%. So 25% occupancy inside a restaurant in Manhattan is no different than 25% indoor occupancy in Buffalo. Density is an outdoor issue. Again, studies have showed that the virus is not really being transmitted from all of these outdoor types of events. So I think it's questionable. Density is the issue that continues to be raised. But, you know, if you look at New Jersey, Governor Murphy recently said that restaurants are not going to be shut down right now. And the reason he gave is because the data is not showing that the infection increase rates are coming from restaurants. Andrew, wouldn't this all be so much easier for your industry and for restaurants to accept if there was aid, relief coming from the government to take care of the businesses that are being forced to either shut down or limit capacity? Precisely. And that is one of the challenges and the frustrations that run so deep in the city's restaurant industry, because we feel like we are being pinned against public health some way. And then we need to throw out this data and all of these different reasons why indoor dining is so important to the industry. But at the end of the day, if government is going to shut us down, that same government, I believe, has a moral responsibility to provide us support so we can eventually reopen and keep New Yorkers employed. There is a bill that passed the House of Representatives, has bipartisan support in the U.S. Senate called the Restaurants Act. It is a $120 billion revitalization fund that would help restaurants pay their rent, pay their payroll, utilities, their vendor expenses. You know, let's forget this is not only the restaurant owners and workers, but there is a vital economic ecosystem that relies on a vibrant restaurant industry. Think of the farmers in upstate New York where we buy vegetables from or the fisher uh, men out in Long Island that we get our fish from, the sales rep that sells you beer or the technology company that's creating different software that we use at the restaurant. So it is so critically important to help support the restaurant industry because I do not see how New York City's economy and social landscape will recover unless the city's restaurant industry is at the core of that recovery. During this entire pandemic, Andrew, we've learned so many lessons from abroad because the virus first hit in China, then Europe. And so uh, there was a head start before it really arrived in America. And so they are just a little bit ahead of the game. Is there any lesson to be learned from the European lockdowns? And they did shutter restaurants, but uh, I'm pretty certain that there was a compensation, like we talked about, making these restaurants, giving some sort of relief um, when there's shutdowns happen. D- d- is, is their survival rate any better than what we're predicting, these dire predictions here in the U.S.? Do you know about that? Yeah, they, they are doing better. But, you know, you don't even have to look over the ocean. You can just look to our north, to Canada. They have done such a better job providing support to local restaurants, to workers. Really, what's going on right now is shameful. I know you can't take politics out of politics, so to speak. But, you know, these elected officials have been going on this pandemic nine months and have not provided adequate support. And people are losing their livelihoods. I mean, workers, many of whom are low wage workers, do not have opportunities to work elsewhere 
in the workforce. And these are not jobs that can be done remotely. I mean, if you're a cook or a dishwasher or a bartender, you need to be physically at the restaurant uh, to do this work. So it's not like they can do remote work. I think we could definitely learn how other countries have supported the industry. But we know what we need to do here. Um, The city council and de Blasio administration have passed a bunch of bills that have actually helped the industry, but a lot of them are band-aids on top of a bullet wound. We need support from the state as well. We have a long list of policy ideas that local government can do. But at the end of the day, the Restaurants Act, which is this revitalization plan, will get money into these businesses. And we need to make the investment now because, well, we should have made it a while ago, but you know, better late than never. But we need to do it right away because the longer we wait, we are just going to exacerbate the crisis. It's going to make the recovery longer. And we are going to lose so many beloved local restaurants that are really the fabric of our neighborhoods and the core and the anchors of our communities. So we need to help save them and we need to help save the jobs. It's mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. We're still here. It's. It seems so obvious for the benefit of everyone. And if and if we want to be able to take public health as the priority, then make make these you know give these people some support and relief so that that we can not have scenes like we've seen across the city with pushback from restaurants where they end up looking like the bad guy. That that has to be concern for you too, Andrew. Where uh, restaurants uh, get pushed into this corner where it almost feels like they are going against uh, COVID health standards. Yeah. And that's why it really is an impossible situation. You know, these are people's livelihoods. They've spent their whole lives building these businesses, their homes, they've mortgaged them. They've maxed out credit cards, you know, exhausted their personal savings. They're doing everything to try to keep some people employed so they can feed their families. And the requirements and guidance has changed over and over again. There's so much fear. There's so much concern. And it's a really unfortunate situation that they are being put in. You know, these are also essential businesses as well. Let's not forget when all the city got shut down and we needed to feed uh, hungry people in New York, when we needed to feed our frontline workers working in the hospital and elsewhere, these restaurants, they stood up. They were in the midst of their own crisis, but they stood up, stepped up to the plate, and they provided support to other people who were in the midst of the crisis. And we continue to do it day in, day out. And we just need support. We're not asking for anything special. We have been mandated by government to shut down. And that same government needs to now step up and support us. It's really simple. It's really direct. And unfortunately, you are building more mistrust in government, more anger towards government because the lack of support. If they and I've heard this from restaurateurs, if you want me to shut down and lay all my people off, Okay, but then at least compensate us so we can do that and then reopen. But you can't just tell us to shut down, lose our livelihoods and not provide us support.
And now let's welcome in Dr. Joseph Fair, NBC News science contributor, virologist, epidemiologist, and someone that really can help us understand the science behind these difficult decisions. Dr. Fair, thanks so much for the time. Let's start with what's about to happen likely in New York, the city and the state talking about restrictions on indoor dining and bars. And what do we know about the risk of these activities relative to other uh, things that people want to do in their lives during the pandemic? Well, you know, unfortunately, we know that indoor dining and bars are conducive to the transmission of infectious disease. And then just I'm not just talking about COVID-19, you know, um, bars in particular, you have some alcohol, you lower your inhibitions, things where you might have been really careful about it. If you were just outside with a mask on or washing your hand after a couple of drinks, you might not be as careful. Um, this and you're also going to be in close contact with others. You know, that's really why we go to bars uh, is to be in close contact with others. Secondly, a restaurant, because it is a closed environment and most restaurants, you know, they don't have open air ventilation. And that's the case with you know most indoor facilities. When you get a number of individuals in there, physics just simply takes over. And so those viral particles that we're expelling when we have COVID-19, whether we know we have it or we don't, they just travel through the air and it's really easy. And we know that, you know, from many cases now that that has been the case that, you know, there have been several outbreaks that resulted from gatherings at bars and gatherings at restaurants. And so while they form an absolutely critical and key part to our community and we're all miserable without them, there is no you know, political agenda or leftist or rightist agendas that wants uh, restaurants and bars to close. It's, it's like the one thing we can all agree on is that we want right. the restaurants and bars to open back up. Um, but unfortunately, they are a spreader of the infectious disease. And so my thought here is that, you know, we may have to shut them down for some time and, you know, maybe not all of them. And maybe we can come up with some really creative yet safe ways to do some of them. But those are going to have to be the target of federal aid. Uh, those businesses in particular are going to need to be saved by the federal government and, you know, any kind of new stimulus package that would come out. And Dr. Fair, without that, I'd imagine that's what's behind the reluctance of someone like Governor Phil Murphy in New Jersey, who's saying, well, we're doing contact tracing and we don't have evidence that bar and restaurants indoors are the source of spread. And yet the Euro and the CDC, everyone's saying, well, that that's not necessarily true. It is, you know, and it, it's one of these cases. Do you take business and livelihoods over life? Well, you got to say life over livelihood, right? You know, at least you can build your livelihood back up. And and I am not saying that as someone, you know, very disconnected. You know, I honestly grew up in a in a in a poor family myself that lived paycheck to paycheck. So I know that missing many a paycheck and what that can do. And, you know, I, I, I don't it's like I said, these decisions are never made easily. And especially when it concerns things like schools, restaurants, bars, things that we can all agree that we need, uh, that those decisions don't come easy. But there is science behind it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be saying it. Another thing that we've heard from Governor Cuomo and many others, officials, we're making data-driven decisions. And the restaurant hospitality group here in New York City has pushed back on this one, that New York City faces tougher restrictions than any other region in the state. And yet, They point out the infection rate in the city is actually lower than upstate and Long Island and other regions. Mm -hmm. And then when we hear from Governor Cuomo, he says, well, it's about density. Is that a good enough argument for you as from a science perspective when density 25 percent in New York City restaurant is really the same as 25 percent in a Westchester or Long Island restaurant? 
Well, I don't know so much. You know, let me start by saying this. I think they made their own argument for themselves and it maybe wasn't the argument that they wanted to make. They have the most stringent requirements in New York and they have the lowest case percentage in New York. So they just made the argument that, you know, it's working. Right. And so I understand that, you know, it could be about density and it certainly is. Like I said, you know, physics plays into this. Right. Um, That being said, once you go indoors, whether it, uh, you know, be five people indoors or, you know, 50, obviously those chances go up the more people you have inside. But once you go indoors, just in being indoors with other people that are not in your immediate circle, you're exponentially increasing your chances uh, of being exposed to and and catching COVID-19. When the second surge came about after a quieter summer in the Northeast and many other parts Mm -hmm. of the country, when it comes to COVID, uh, we started to hear from many public officials saying things along the lines of Governor Ned Lamont from Connecticut. It's informal private gatherings. We're seeing the ignition taking off in terms of our infection rate, blaming small gatherings. Yeah. And yet, I, 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 is there data that backs up that small gatherings are the driver of the disease that many have said it is? You know, one thing that's happening right now with COVID-19, and uh, I can't remember another incidence in where this has happened, but um, our world of science, be it virology or epidemiology, is all of a sudden being learned by the whole world in real time. And, uh, you know, we do have different methodologies. We have different ways of doing things around the world, et cetera. Um, So right now, studies are ongoing. This is a new disease, a new virus to science, uh, and a new disease for humans. And so we're still learning about that. We thought it was going to be most closely related to SARS because genetically it is it is so. That being said, it spreads much more rapidly. It's much more contagious than SARS. Thankfully, it's less deadly than SARS. So we've only seen, you know, a little over 200,000 deaths in the United States. And I I don't say that, you know, with any kind of, uh, you know, joking behind it, but we could have seen a lot more deaths if it had been as deadly as SARS. It's closest pleasant. Thankfully, it's not as deadly as SARS, but it does spread, you know, to more people. So we know that it spreads to more people in gatherings, um, be they outside or inside. If they're inside, that's exponentially higher than outside. And that the small gatherings, you know, Think about it this way. You have to think about it of networks upon networks. So, you know, five people get together. Those five people have five individual networks of individuals that there are in their immediate groups. So, you know, one of them is infected in their small gathering and, you know, maybe two or three of them are. So that that takes those three people and then exposes them to their immediate networks, which is probably five or six people or maybe 10 or maybe more or maybe less. But then the circle, you know, the cycle just keeps repeating itself. So small gatherings definitely play a big role in it. Large gatherings play a major role in it. Fair enough. Really appreciate the time, Dr. Farrow. It was great to chat with you. Likewise. Thank you. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. And thanks to our production team as well. Melissa Mack, Darren Price, and Ben Berkowitz. I'm your host, Adam Cooperstein, in for David Ushery. We'll check back with you next time on The Debrief. Debrief.